Hello, I'm Anthony Santa. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. And this is Fusion Health Radio. Welcome to Fusion Health Radio, your source for inspiration, information, and insight on what it really takes and what really matters on your journey to abundant health. Fusion Health Radio on today's episode, episode two of our podcast series, uh, Dr. Mike is going to talk to us about the 10 steps to abundant health. And we're going to do it in a way where you don't fall asleep. <laughs> and we're going to do it in a way where it actually makes sense because uh, I want to know what the 10 steps are too. Uh, Fusion Health Radio, I'm Anthony Santa. I am uh, Dr. Mike's co-host and uh, quasi-tech guy and health seeker and friend and I'm here to learn more about health and share that with you. Uh, Mike, who are you and what are you to the world? Uh, so I practice uh, functional medicine and nutritional medicine and the scientific side of what I do and I also include the vast wisdom and experience of traditional Chinese medicine. Um, I do a certain kind of clinical counseling with people. And uh, I'm also a patient. Uh, as a patient, I have Crohn's disease and colitis and something called COPD. So if it feels like I just drank a half a, you know, Mickey, a bourbon, no, not so much, but, you know, I have a bit of a froggy voice, as they say. Um, so, yeah, my practice has been going on for 20 years. Um, my primary focus, uh, because of my background, is on chronic degenerative complex autoimmune diseases. So I get to work with probably the most tricky stuff in medicine. Um, I'm a fairly collaborative person in the sense that with my patients, I often say I'm going to be Sherlock Holmes, you're going to be Dr. Watson. You're going to probably hear that every episode for a while because it's kind of my my thing for people. Because when I say that, I'm saying that to you, the listener, because if I get into some stuff that's going to help you, um, it's the beginning of an investigation. It's not just something that, you know, go do that, everything's going to be fine. That's just step one, whatever that step is. Great. And uh, much of the information that we've uh, shared so far with people has been kind of a background. If you tune into episode one, uh, they learn a little bit more about uh, who you are and how you see things and the way of the world. Uh, as far as medicine goes for you. Yeah. Uh, we also talked about um, how much water you should drink and uh, some creative things you can do, including peeing into a pitcher of water or a pitcher. <laughs> yeah, that was a little fun geek out and all the, the fun details of how to figure out how much water you need. So if you want to check that out, it's in the first podcast. First podcast. So today we're here to talk about the 10 steps to abundant health. And this is a bit of a theme that uh, you've had for, I guess, a number of years. Uh, but it hasn't always been 10 steps, has it? Now, I think when I was, uh, when I came out of the hospital 20 odd years ago, and I was very, very ill, grateful that the hospital saved me, but they didn't give me a very good prognosis or um, <clears throat> sense of what my future was going to look like. So I went to uh, all kinds of different people to try and learn more and more and more about what I could do. And as I got more into functional medicine, um, functional medicine runs on certain protocols. And back then it was kind of, I mean, I was in the ground floor of functional medicine. They were just actually, you know, our first textbooks were actually a bunch of photocopies that were put together in a basic binder and said, okay, that's that's what we know so far. <laughs> anyway, so I think the first one was three where the focus was on you have to completely manage stress physiology, completely manage uh, digestive function, and completely manage immune system um, uh, overreactions and underreactions. And I was like, okay, that made me change my life. I'm still here, yay. Um, as I got into using those protocols in my practice, 
uh, I started noticing, you know, I think I want to add uh, another step focusing on the actual uh, detox pathways of your liver. I guess in my personal journey towards health, that wasn't really a big concern, but I noticed in a lot of my patients that was you know, a big thing they had to work on. And then it became, you know, eventually six steps and I started teaching courses based on that. I started teaching, uh, teaching clinicians that approach. Um, and then over the last few years, I've come to realize there's a few other things that I think are kind of essential and the order is also very essential because, you know, I think, you know, this is maybe a bit of an aside, but people are different now. <clears throat> different how? Or sorry, uh, compared to when? Well, like 10 years ago. I mean, I started my medical practice 20 years ago. And I mean, I don't I think we had the internet then. Um, mm. it was, it was a beginning to be a thing, I think. But nowadays, I mean, with our iPhones and iPads and, well, I should throw out an Android pitch too, but I mean, everybody's busy all the time. Like people need baby steps. Like I, you know, 10 years ago, I had a different kind of conversation or, um, audience interaction with, you know, if I'm doing public speaking, because it was like people had this much more attention and 20 years ago, they had more and. You know, two weeks ago, it's like, okay, I'm going to squeak in what people can actually uh, ingest, understand, and then, you know, move ahead with. And I'm not saying that in any way of, like, you know, judgment or people are too hooked into the whatever. I'm just going, okay, I've got to change how I deliver what I do so that people that are trying to gain benefit from that will actually be able to, you know, take off the bite-sized piece and, you know, move in that direction because... Uh, and I would also say there's so much conflicting information in the, the health space, internet, you know, Dr. Google, as they call it now. Um, Paging <clears throat> Dr. Google. Paging Dr. Google. <laughs> yeah. Um, people's minds are full of conflicting information. So if I come at them with, you know, my particular avalanche of everything at once, they're just going to curl up and, you know, plug their ears and wait for me to go away. Stick their fingers in their ears. La, la, la. I'm not listening. Yeah. I didn't see that on Facebook. You're not telling the truth. La, la, la. Yeah. So, I mean, it's for me, it's like, okay, that, I mean, I'm grateful to have, uh, you know, the opportunity to just work that out. And this is a deliverable thing and it's a doable thing. And then when you're ready for the next one, we'll sit down uh, and get into that. So and I, that's what typically works for people. I, I think your approach is one where you uh, are more considerate of the individual in, um, I mean, regardless if it was now or 10 years ago, um, I think how it is you see the individual and how it is you know uh, what can support them uh, has changed over the years as well. So that's probably a big part of it. I mean, sure, we're all distracted by social media and every other electronic boop and beep that happens in our lives. But um, in my experience with what you've taught, uh, both through your classes that I've attended, plus myself as a patient with you, it's been very um, systematic and very, um, you know, here's the first step and just like a flight of stairs, it leads to the next step going up. And just like a flight of stairs, that led to the next step going up. It wasn't just, um, here's 10 different things in no particular order mm -hmm. that don't make any sense. And I think it's also worth saying that, um, and I love the step analogy or image, is some people that come into the clinic or the people listening to the podcast might only have to walk up a, um, a flight of stairs that has three steps because mm -hmm. they did step one, two, and three, and all of a sudden, you know, that got to the root of uh, what was stuck physiologically or mentally or emotionally in terms of their well-being. You know, now you're 
you're, you're back on the highway, off you go. Some people it's going to be six steps. Some people have to go through all ten, and it may take them months to a couple of years because they're, they're that far in the, you know, like what I call the weeds of, you know, complex chronic illness because it's, you know, God, I wish there was a magic pill, but sorry, not... Not so much. <laughs> and again, for the sake of our listeners, um, you hear Mike say the phrase, in the weeds. Uh, for those of you who don't have a hospitality background, in the weeds refers to, um, picture you're in your favorite wef- restaurant, and uh, it's really busy. It's probably 10 times busier than you've ever seen it. And there's only one waiter. And that waiter is running around like a chicken with their head cut off, trying to keep up with the demands of everything. That's technically what it means to be in the weeds. Well, I'm surprised I didn't remember that. Cause I've had the expression since I was a like waiter and bartender from the university. But I'm like, oh yeah, I love knowing where stuff comes from. Thanks for that. <laughs> well, I'll be happy to help uh, translate. If you can translate a few things for us in and around health, I'll do the I'll do the uh, analogies. Um, so okay, so let's talk about your list here. Ten steps to abundant health. Uh, what's step one? Uh, step one is what I call starting with the do's. The do's. The do's, and do-do. then work on the don'ts. So there's okay. things you want to do in the sense of checklist, yes, good idea. And then there's the don'ts, which is the checklist of, okay, not so much time to stop, you know, because it's been my experience with most people. If I say, okay, stop everything bad, and they usually walk out the door, <laughs> or if I go to the bathroom and come back and they're gone, little note, sorry, that's insane, you know. And so I say, okay, let's, you know, look at the, the list of don'ts. So the don'ts are always going to be alcohol, sugar, caffeine, excess, you know, uh, of any kind in, in the sense of recreational drugs, unnecessary pharmaceuticals, um, I don't know, even excess, you know, sitting on your butt doing nothing because anything damaging, that's a don't. Okay, so I'm going to stop you there for a second. Mm-hmm. You're saying, uh, starting with the the... The do's. Yeah, I'm going to come back to the do's. I just wanted to make sure the don'ts were clear because everyone always says, well, just tell me the don'ts first because I want to know what I'm getting into. Okay, okay. So let's say we put the, the menu of don'ts over here and say, okay, let's get to a place where getting rid of those is realistic by improving your metabolism, your mood, your vitality by doing the do's. You know, and that's obviously, well, perhaps obviously. For me, obviously, let's find out. Um, obviously, you get more sleep if you need it. Drink more water. And you can go back to podcast number one to listen to us have a little, you know, fun with how much water to drink. But again, it's about two liters, one liter the first two hours of your day. Uh, eat real food. You know, and for me, that's a nutrient-dense food. So if you picture yourself going to the grocery store, you got your little grocery cart, you're going to stick to the wall. Lots of plants, lots of roots, a few fruits, preferably seasonal and local. Um, whatever kind of animal protein you like, preferably free-range or grass-fed or organic. You know, try not to eat the toxic bad stuff because it supports toxic bad stuff for everybody, including the planet. Me. That's another podcast. That's another podcast, yeah, for sure. And um, lots of healthy fat. I mean, I always get the little eye roll kind of, you know, frown or whatever it is when people think I'm saying something insane, but you have to eat an, an immense amount of fat for fat to be bad for you or to make you fat. So right. fat doesn't make you fat. You have to, I mean, the technical number is you have to eat 57.6 of your daily calories as fat for the fat in your diet to potentially make you gain weight. Wow. So, so basically what we've heard around fat is... Um, it's the most embarrassing thing science has ever done. Sorry. <laughs> wow. That's another podcast. Well, I mean, there's a year and a half ago, uh, cover of Time Magazine, Big Lump of Butter. Sorry, we were wrong for 50 years. This is actually medicine. Ah, oops. Mm-hmm. oops. <laughs> um, so starting with the do's is uh, kind of a overview, kind of a... Uh, 
sort of a low-level kind of thing where people can sort of say, this is what's going on for me and try to improve it a little bit? I mean, it's, I mean honestly, it's like if you, if you can commit to the common sense, sleep, water, real food, exercise, fresh air, I might throw in meditation um, or some kind of mindfulness practice, uh, something that actually helps you learn to rest and relax. And sleep, by definition, is a period of time your body is so busy you don't have the calories to stay conscious. Mm. So when we think, oh, I'm going to sleep and get some rest. It's like I'm putting up my hands slowly with an odd, shy look on my face, which is, um, sorry. No, in fact, resting is lying down and not doing anything with your brain for at least 20 minutes. And that's chemically going to induce uh, the relaxation response where your nervous system goes from fight or flight to rest, digest which is why it's called the rest-digest you know, state of your body. And um, you could include that as a meditation. Lie on your couch, work on your breath, focus on whatever it is your particular style of meditation uh, includes. You know, you know two-for-one sale, get it done. But, you know, th those are the do's. And if you're getting into doing those do's, you're going to be, um, as a human being and as a subjective individual, probably more, um, you know, full of vitality and what we call piss and vinegar around, I'm going to go after the don'ts now because I'm, you know, I've got this gur and purr feeling in my body because mm -hmm. I'm taking care of myself. And then, you know, especially if you have a really, you know, you're really hooked into tobacco or alcohol or something like that, you've got more guile and wit to go at the challenge that that's going to be. You know, whereas if you're like, okay, I'm going to just, you know, live my lifestyle exactly the same way with the same constant level of stress and distraction, and I'll take on one or two of the biggest addictions on the planet. Yeah. So I haven't seen that work out so well for anybody yet, but, you know, just start with the do's. It's, you know, and I think it's also kind of a diagnostic thing. You know, if someone comes to see me and we get started on the do's and they can't even do that. Okay, let's work on the fact that um, we're both becoming aware that at this point in your life, caring for yourself is not really what you're available to. So it's almost like taking a, uh, a commitment. Uh, like, you know, a little Boy Scout pledge. I pledge to actually take care of my body and pay attention to the fact that I'm actually not healthy and, um, you know, carry on and do good things for myself instead of... It's it's almost like, uh, what's the expression? Waking up and smelling the coffee around your health. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, wait a minute. I guess I do need better sleep and better food and, and that sort of thing. Yep. Yeah. And, I mean, it's, it's the beginning of, you know, hopefully changing your lifestyle permanently. Right. You know? So, I mean, that's not the kind of thing you want to do on your own. Uh, well, I would get an accountability buddy, reality buddy, where, you know, it's your partner, your friend from work, or, you know, someone you're going to school with, where you're like, let's get together and really just sort of, you know, let's potluck once a week, let's, you know, Facebook each other, you know, recipes, let's Instagram our meals, you know, whatever you do to keep it uh, a social topical thing, because, and I'll bring this up, you know, quickly, um, I've often thought it would be fun to print up a little, like, business card-like thing for my patients that says... I am on a clinically supervised diet to support my health. If you do not have three PhDs and 20 years of clinical experience, you know, and I'd flip over and have a word I probably don't want to say on the podcast because that's the biggest challenge for a lot of people trying to get better is almost always somebody in their sphere of influence, their family, is saying, that's crazy. You shouldn't be eating like that. Why don't you want to have the thing we always have on Sunday night with all the sugar in it and, you know, whatever. So it's just giving yourself the, you know, that um, just basic awareness that the hardest part about changing your life 
isn't you. It's everyone who's telling you what you're doing right and wrong. Yeah, I can uh, I can say that I've had that experience as well over the years with uh, my health and uh, adventures, if you want to call it that. Um, actually, I will call it that. My adventures around health over the years have been so um, up and down, uh, and I've always been committed to doing more for my health, uh, but it's always been a challenge when I bump up against uh, traditional home-cooked mom kind of meals, which were, um, although delicious, and although I still crave them, I know that they were totally crap for me and my body and the way it actually worked with things. You know, Brett and I, you know, I love it, it doesn't love me. <laughs> and I, I knew that from day one. Um, but anyways, let's get back to your list. So step one, start with the do's. Step two? Well, step one includes, once you've got the do's, start going after the don'ts. Right, okay. Yeah, step two is... Um, it's a subtle one, and I put it at step two because subtle actually really makes things meaningful, right? Because you're, you're getting into things that aren't just, oh yeah, what's, what's the, does, you know, Dr. Michael have a supplement list I can buy or a supplement line I can buy? It's like, let's just hold on before we get <coughs> carried away with the shopping. So step two has sort of two parts to it, uh, as does step one. Uh, the beginning of step two is learning the, to de- make a distinction between what health feels like or maybe has felt like in the past. Hopefully feels like right now if you're listening, but if not, reflecting what, what you remember yourself feeling like when you were healthier. And then getting a sense of what illness feels like. Now, for me, I'm kind of making up these definitions from my, my own use, I guess, but illness is that vague, changing period of time where you're like, you know, I'm not functioning really the way I used to you know maybe it's digestion that's a really common place for things to start it's mood it's sleep it's uh, you know stress resilience um, pain obviously is a big thing um, suddenly your features go from I look like I did in high school to I look like my grandma you know or something you know because things change and that's a kind of migratory fairly miasmic vague illness state and inevitably, if you don't go from illness to health, you're going to go from illness to disease. And a disease basically means somebody with some letters after their name has said, you have usually something in Latin or named after a sports hero disease. And um, now we're going to roll with trying to manage that disease, which unfortunately has very little positive outcome for most people. Uh, and I, uh, I call Western medicine pharmaceutical medicine because it's an accurate description of what you're going to find there. And we're so lucky to have pharmaceutical medicine to take care of us when we're that far into disease. So, again, uh, let's get clear on that. Pharma being drugs? Pharmaceuticals. Pharmaceuticals and surgical meaning... Cutting you up and putting you back together. (laughs) The mechanical interventions that that Western medicine does to make sure everything works or doesn't and yank it if it doesn't do something with it if it if it does or mm-hmm. yeah okay so and again i'm not going to take a big tirade against western medicine but you know we've asked them to position their their responsibility as illness management we don't i mean we maybe we want them to help us but they're not trained to help us because we've for the last few generations said you know it's I mean, western medicine technically comes from world war one triage hospitals you know in Europe in the war, right? And they said, well, we've got drugs now, we can, you know, learn more about surgery, and on they went. And now antibiotics, now they can do that, and, you know, nothing against them, let's just put them in perspective. So if you have a disease and you're being managed, you know, in the sense of pharmaceutical medicine, 
you're going to maintain that disease for as long as, you know, probable, because their job isn't to move out of disease towards illness, towards health. So uh, it's just people to make a distinction. And I would ask anyone listening to this podcast is, you know, you know, go to the comments below the show notes and type in health or illness or disease. Just one word, because it would be really interesting for me to know uh, who it is that's listening to me and Anthony talk, because if it's all disease, 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 maybe we'll get way, way more into helping you crawl out of that. Whereas, <clears throat> excuse me, if everyone's like, you know, fitness models and they're healthy, and like, wow, interesting you're listening to this, but then we'll talk more about that. But anyway, so those are the first distinctions for you to say, where am I at? And am I going from health towards disease or disease towards health? Because it's all about that momentum. Part two of step two um, is to build your own personal health team. Now, the hardest thing for many, many people, and I've had this experience myself, is to ask for help. At some point, you know, if you're healthy and you hire a, I don't know, a fitness trainer, good decision, because you've asked for help before you needed it. <laughs> you're just getting better at what you do. If you're getting into the illness sort of vague place and you ask for help, it may be harder to know exactly what's going on, but you made a really good decision before it turned into a disease. If you have a disease, you might want to have a pretty good health team, you know, have a pharmaceutical person, you know, around, because those people know what they're doing, and just in case, you know, uh, kind of like a referee, they're going to keep you, you know, back in play. <clears throat> Having a functional medicine person on your team, you know, functional medicine's pretty new, uh, but it's a groundswell because it's Western medicine practiced without pharmaceuticals on average seven years ahead of everybody else around lab testing. Uh, having someone that you can actually have a meaningful conversation with. If you've got family, friends, mentors, you know, church, you know, whatever your particular way of connecting with people is, make sure you're accessing that in a meaningful way. Right? I mean, the reason people pay a psychologist $200 an hour is so that they can learn to trust someone and get to know themselves in front of someone that they trust. Uh, as an acupuncturist, for sure, I think acupuncture is one of the coolest things ever in the sense of how amazing it is uh, in terms of therapeutic, tangible benefit, you know, that day for days after the treatment. Um, <clears throat> I think, uh, I mean, I could go on and on about all the different um, integrative or complementary health opportunities. I mean, there's quite the encyclopedia of, of things you could get into, you know, from aromatherapy to uh, therapeutic animus to anything else. Um, but the person I think you need to make sure is on the team is you. Hmm. So you mean stepping up and actually committing to doing something? Well, we all have an inner doctor kind of intuition part of ourselves. If you're going to get into step one, it's your inner doctor that's going to do the do's and start to take apart the don'ts, right? Call your healer, your inner wisdom person, your inner patient person that's actually going to try all these things out and see what happens because... Um, Otherwise, we become passive. Hmm. And that's where our culture, I mean, we are taught to sit and watch, go to the doctor, get the diagnosis, take the pill, and wait and see. All right. And I mean, I've been there, I get that. A lot of my patients come in and they expect that's what's going to happen. Okay, you're going to give me another diagnosis and another, you know, bag of things to take home. And it's like, well, yeah, but let's find out about how you are going to motivate yourself and mobilize yourself throughout that process because otherwise you're just passively waiting to see if I can be the final answer to your problem. Well, if we go back to that step analogy, you actually have to be uh, willing to walk up the stairs. Yeah, I mean, again... <laughs> you're not you, just sitting on the bottom step. 
Yeah, beautiful analogy, and I think we should really keep that going, you know, in the conversation because it is that second step where you're kind of committed, you know, and, you know, the, the do's and the don'ts. It's kind of like, yeah, well, I mean, of course I saw that coming. And it's like, okay, now you have to really, you know, ask for help, ask yourself for help, and commit to the process, you know, the rest of the steps because, you know, um, I mean, these are real numbers. Um, <clears throat> Again, I work with primarily complex chronic autoimmune stuff, pretty challenging. 85% of people I work with who commit and actually act on all this stuff reduce their symptoms to the point where they're not diagnosable. Wow. Legally, I cannot say that they're cured, and that's not actually interesting to me anyway because it's all about healing, not cure. That's a different uh, different way of looking at it than um, perhaps what, I mean, what I've seen in the past in my own health journey. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're broken here. Let's just glue that back on. <laughs> as opposed to looking at why I'm actually broken in the first place and making sure things don't fall off. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And, and honestly, I mean, real quickly, um, a healing journey is a sacred opportunity to learn what really you need to learn to be your whole self in this life. I think just, uh, and I've, I've said it a couple of times, committing mm-hmm. or actually taking that intention for oneself. I mean, I know for me, um, deciding to actually do something proactive about my health um, and getting away from, to use your word, pharmaceutical medicine, because that was never successful for me, um, it was actually very uh, comforting in some way to actually say, hey, I'm actually going to do something for myself. You know, it's almost like the big me actually reached down and grabbed a little me and said, come on, we're going to go do this. It's going to be good for you. So, Well, let's all embrace our big me then. <laughs> Okay, big me, uh, big Mike. <laughs> uh, step number three, I'm looking at your list here. Um, so step three is get more sleep, rest, and play. Right now, about 30% of people in the developed world have some kind of sleep disorder, kind of insomnia, if it's restless, if it's wakeful. <clears throat> you know, it's amazing how often that's actually a blood sugar issue or a stress hormone issue and things like that. But once your circadian rhythm, the background of your physiology that manages waking and sleeping, once it gets kind of quirky and disorganized, it takes an an astounding amount of commitment and practice to get your sleep cycle back to normal. Hmm. And it's all around what we call sleep hygiene. You could Google sleep hygiene to get the basic uh, outline, but uh, the obvious things, uh, stop looking at screens an hour before bed. You know, turn down your lights, use candles. You have to have like blacked out room. Um, try not to have anything in your room that's distracting. You know, you put duct tape over the little glowy numbers on your alarm clock if you've got such a thing. Because, you know, you're, you're basically having to like coddle and cuddle your pineal gland back into normal function. And it really, really takes its protect you from all evil job very seriously. So, I mean, you really, I mean, it's getting your sleep together. It's a huge commitment, but it's so worth it. Because without sleep, you're aging probably you know 30, 40% faster than you would otherwise. Rest, as I mentioned earlier, rest is not sleep. Rest is actually a physiological shift from a stress fight or flight response into a rest digest response, which means you have to lie down. A quick example that I've actually seen do amazing things for people who are the kind of primary caregiver at home. You know, they come home from work and then they make supper and they clean up the dishes and then they make lunches for kids and then they put everybody into their particular, you know, room or whatever, and then they try and get that two hours of me time, which is like, please, just don't let my mind. And then they're staring at, you know, their Facebook page or whatever before bed. Um, so obviously they, they need to change the, 
what they do with those last two hours a little bit for the sleep part. But many people that I've asked to go home from work, give everyone a little snuggle, go to bed, lie down, put a cool towel over your forehead, no devices, no books, maybe some nature sounds or something in the background, and just lie still for 20-25 minutes. And then get up, and the person who's going to make dinner, clean up dishes, make lunches, and do whatever, is going to be way more patient, way more kind, way more um, malleable in terms of stress. If you come from come home from work and you're wound up as, you know, anybody ever gets to be, and then you have all these people demanding all of this attention, it, it's going to look like a bad reality TV show. I think, uh, as you're describing it, the, the words come to me that uh, people take sleep uh, or relaxation for granted. Yeah. Um, they just know that um, at a certain time they've run up gas and they're going to collapse for four or five, maybe six hours, and then get up and start it all over again. Um, I've never seen that happen. <laughs> <laughs> no, me neither. <laughs> um, he says, talking through his teeth. He sarcastically is like me. Yeah. Um, so sleep and rest are definitely... Um, you know, physiological restorative processes that uh, we need to pay attention to. Yeah, and you know, it's like a, you know, you could call it vitamin S, you know, vitamin R. If you're, if you're not adding those things consciously and consistently until you get the result you're looking for, again, you're being passive and just hoping that adjusting things a little is going to be, you know, I mean, it's kind of like going to, sorry, Walmart, but Walmart and buying the cheapest vitamins you can and just taking them and randomly hoping they work instead of actually researching and compounding the best possible organic ingredients that are going to make a huge difference because, of course, that's going to work better. So there's either, oh, you can either do the Walmart version of sleep hygiene, which is, oh, okay, I'll turn off the TV and, you know, you know, putter or something like that. But if you do the full-blown, like, 10 steps of sleep hygiene, now you're taking the organic stuff because you're going to get immediate, tangible results. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the results do happen fast. Yep. Absolutely. The body really picks up on that. So uh, sleep, rest, play is the last part of that. Yeah. So here's, this is one of my fun little quotes is, um, I determine a person's overall health outcome based on the next time they have scheduled something fun to do. So if they're not having fun, they're not on a course to health. Yeah. If you don't have something on your phone or on your list of things to do that you are excited about and want to do, and it's going to make you feel, you know, euphoric and happy and you know, all the dopamine things are going to happen because you're happy. Um, Yay, it's Saturday. I get the podcast again. Yay. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, if you don't have something fun on your calendar, your health outcomes are negative. If you consistently have something planned, you know, whatever you really enjoy doing and you do it, your health outcomes are better. Right? I mean, I know this in my life. If I don't feel passionate and playful about whatever I'm in, into doing, whatever it is, and I'm a fairly, you know, I get into all kinds of interesting projects because uh, I love it. <clears throat> um, it just means I need to take a break because I'm not playful. I'm not passionate. I'm busy. Mm. I'm, I'm busy. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's not a good word. Busy. The uh, the old saying, uh, "All work and no play." Yeah, makes Jack and Jill a patient of pharmaceutical people. <laughs> so I'm looking at your list and I see step number three: get more sleep, rest, and play. Step four. Yeah, increase your fitness and decrease unhealthy fat. Pretty simple. Uh, increase fitness, so you want me to go out and join a football club? or Sure. Uh, or is that just 
guess it depends on whether or not you like being tackled by really big people. <laughs> not necessarily, no. Uh, but when you say uh, increase, is that something simple, like maybe even just going for a walk? Well, I mean, technically, if you can walk, say, five kilometers and you do it often, that's movement. It's not exercise. Exercise is getting some part of your body, some system of your body, to do something it hasn't done in a certain direction. So obviously, if you go to resistance training, you can pick up 10 pounds 20 times, excuse me, then you are eventually going to want to do 10 pounds 30 times or 25 pounds, you know, you know, 10 times or whatever, because your body needs to be doing something that's changing it in a positive direction of function, right? And that's what fitness or exercise actually means is you're improving something tangibly, consistently in a direction, right? Not to be all techy about what these words mean, but it's also about the personal relationship with it. If I go to the gym and I just go through my putter routine, which sometimes I do, it's like, okay, I'll go through and just do my standard thing. But that's just movement. I'm just keeping myself, you know, where, where I am. Um, unless I'm actually trying to get, um, you know, more reps or more weight or more strict or more stretch or more whatever I'm doing, I'm not really exercising. So unless I'm investigating a new thing in the sense of, you know, the amount of weight I left or the amount of time I'm there or, you know, how much I hike or run or walk or whatever, um, that's not really fitness. That's just movement. And that's okay. Please move. Don't, don't stop moving. That's a bad idea. Stop moving. Don't stop bad. walking your dog. Yeah. <laughs> Let them walk you. It'll go longer. <laughs> you know, but just to have that mindset, you know, fitness is about making new things happen. Okay. Right. Unhealthy fat. Um, I think we've all got a pretty clear idea what that feels like, looks like. Uh, but for the sake of people who may have their own ideas, what are yours? Um, yeah, if your lean, um, uh, lean body mass ratio um, or ratio of actual tangible fat is over 30% of your body weight, you're technically obese in a way that's really, really dangerous in the long term because... Um, as it turns out, adipose tissue, what we call fat, it's a functioning gland. It's not just unsightly goo that rubs up and down your body when you jog up and down stairs. <laughs> Got overweight once a few years ago after an injury, and oh my god, I had no idea what that felt like. But there was like this weird schmoo suit outside of my body <laughs> that was like jumping up and down my ribcage. I'm like, oh, I gotta get back to the gym. <laughs> anyway, so unhealthy fat is unhealthy because it secretes hormones of inflammation, it secretes hormones that mess with your reproductive system. Um, it makes everyone eventually pre-diabetic and it makes you more prone to Alzheimer's. So unhealthy fat, not a metaphor. Fat, unnecessary amounts of fat is very unhealthy. Mm. And um, the unhealthy fat on uh, the physical body, uh, I think you mentioned this already, is not necessarily something that's related to eating uh, fats, is it? Uh, no. In fact, you can eat all kinds of fat all day, every day, and it's not going to make you fatter. Fair enough. Okay. Um, so, uh, where are we on the list here? Number five, stabilize your metabolism. Right. So, step five is stabilizing your metabolism. What does that look like? Well, this is where it actually starts to get really tricky. Um, your metabolism is run by everything that governs everything. And that's like the idea of meta is kind of like everything around everything. So that includes all of your hormones, your stress hormones, your sex hormones, um, all of your neurotransmitters, which are the things that communicate between neurons in your brain and your body. And interestingly enough, they're kind of conditionally one or the other, because you can have a hormone that behaves as a neurotransmitter and a neurotransmitter that does the job of a hormone. So at some point, we're going to have a new name for this whole thing. And <clears throat> 
it'll be more comprehensive and stuff. But um, usually you're going to either need to see a clinician who really understands this stuff and or a clinician who can do some lab testing to assess all of those things to see where they're at, especially if you're go you've gone from um, illness to disease. Because if your metabolism is all messed up, it's really, really hard to figure out what the next step is without a test. And I would say from uh, my own clinical experience, if you go to a clinician and your metabolism is a complete state of haywire chaos and they just give you some standard blank looked protocol, it's like, well, let's go with, you know, you know, the number 42 chop suey with some, you know, side of fries or something. Uh, you're unfortunately in a very dangerous place because um, it's very hard to diagnose anything accurately when a person's metabolism is all over the map because everything is trying to make up for everything else. So everything's out of whack. It's just a like, giant compromising circle of doom. Yeah, it's... it's The it's, one thing that's broken is leaning on the other thing that's broken who's relying on the other thing that's broken. And Yeah, well, here's a quick mental image, and it's, I don't know, it's a really good image, so it's worth the extra minute. Um, imagine you're playing this game. <clears throat> it's called Health. And the way you play it is you, you get six or ten people in a room, and you all have a ping-pong paddle, and there's a red ping-pong ball, a blue one, a green one, a yellow one, and a black one. And the game is to keep all of the balls in the air all of the time. Right? Okay. So if at some point the black one falls on the ground, and then the black one falls on the ground again, and then we're trying to keep the other ones in the air, we lost health. We have to go back and start all over again because one of the things that's absolutely essential for everything to work isn't in the game. Mm. And then if you end up with five white balls, two red ones, and no other balls, you're basically like, in terms of the metaphor of hormones and neurotransmitters, there's a whole bunch of stuff that can't work. And it's, it amazes me. I mean, it amazes me how far down the road of health, illness, and disease human beings can get and still go to work and raise a family. I think... Uh way we function as humans the word autopilot comes to mind yeah but it's on for like i don't think for the grandchildren or some kind of cockroaches like there's no way we can survive all that stuff but we do um, you know, on average when people start to really crash their metabolism it's about 15 years from when it first goes off to where it actually collapses i mean and that's i've seen that over and over again it's like, oh yeah so 15 years ago did this happen mm -hmm. all right then so we're that far into the the weeds again <laughs> So I can get the feeling that this is going to be a really long podcast, so maybe it's a good idea to take a break here. And, you know, we're on number five, so we'll, you know, start number six in, in another podcast so that, you know, people have a chance to fit this into their lives a little bit easier. How's that sound to you? Uh, that sounds great. This has been a, a lot of uh, great information so far. Uh, we've been talking uh, with Dr. Michael Smith about um, 10 Steps to Abundant Health, and uh, we're halfway through. Uh, and on the next uh, episode, next podcast, uh, we'll carry on and go further up the, uh, up the stairs and learn more about health. You have been listening to Fusion Health Radio. Please add your comments or post a question at Facebook slash Fusion Health Radio.